Now I invite you to turn with me in the word of God to the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 23. It can be found on page 651 in the Bible provided here in the sanctuary. Chapter 23 will begin in verse 23 and continue through the 29th verse. The word of the Lord. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the, what the prophets have said to prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? So far the hearing of God's word. Well, as we turn now to the content of the Lord's prayer, having been prepared this past Lord's Day for all those of you who were here with us to speak about prayer on the whole and in large view what the Lord Jesus designed for us and intended for us in the Lord's Prayer. Now we turn to the content of that prayer itself. But before we come to the requests that are within the Lord's Prayer, which we'll turn to next week if the Lord tarries, tonight we have in view the Lord behind the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord Jesus prompts us to think about the one to whom we pray, the God of prayer. You know, sometimes around the church, uh, you'll hear folks who, of course, intend well when they say things like this, but sometimes don't we hear um, it said, prayer really works. I stopped and I prayed one day and I turned around and wow, I had exactly what I prayed for. Or I was, I was coming to the Lord in prayer and then the answer came. Prayer really works. And perhaps it's just my, it's just my dark heart. But I really want to say to people when they say things like that, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Prayer doesn't work. The God of prayer works. 
And God has invited his church to pray to him, to call upon him, to make our needs and requests known by speaking to the one who already knows all of the thoughts and desires of our hearts and controls the entire world and all of the events that take place in the world that he has made from the greatest of earthquakes to the tiniest turning of my heart in your heart. He has invited us to speak to him in the name of Christ so that we might converse with him. So as we begin in the Lord's Prayer, we want to have God in view, the God who lies behind prayer, the God to whom we address all of our cares and concerns, and we want to have this God in view aright. You have thoughts of God. I have thoughts of God. Everyone who lives on the face of the earth has a thought of who God is. And that's fine, provided that those thoughts of God submit to the truth of who God really is in the way that God has revealed himself authoritatively in his word so that we might know him aright and so that wrong views of God might be thrown away for the truth of who God really is. That's what this text is about. You, you might have scratched your heads and thought, why in the world on this night of all nights did he choose this text in order to uh, teach us about the Lord's Prayer? I chose it because Jeremiah had a very difficult uh, task in his hands. The Lord called him to prophesy to a church that was in eg exile. Uh, they were not home. They were held captive in a foreign land with foreign gods. And so all of the mentality of that place encroached upon their lives and their view of God. And yet this prophet prophesied in a time where the Lord was preparing the church to return home. You see, this prophet has so much to say, not just to the people who first heard and read his words, but to us who hear his word and hear the word of the Lord now. We are a church that is far from home. We are a church that is in a foreign land. We are a church where the views of the land encroach upon the truth of our God as he has revealed himself in his word. And we are a church that the Lord, by his word, is preparing to go home, to be with him, to be with all of the glorified saints, to be with the true church, to be in that place worshiping God in glorious and pure joy forever. But this passage prompts us 
to think about God and to call upon him aright by this three-part rhetorical question that is recorded for us beginning in verse 23. Now, the Lord has three questions that he poses, and I suppose they are three questions to outcount the number of the times that the false prophets in verse 25 said, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed a dream. You see, they said that, they said that twice. Dreams uh, weren't the thing that was wrong. God revealed himself to his appointed servants in this age authoritatively by dreams. So it wasn't the fact that these false prophets dreamed a dream that got them into trouble. It was the content of their dreams. Look at verse 32. They were false dreams. In verse 26, they were delusions of mind. They were like madmen made drunk, spouting things in verse 25 that were not true. Things about God that were not the way that he had revealed himself, but were lies. And so as they have come forward with this false dream twice, God now comes three times and he has a question to pose to them. And the first one is this. Am I a God who is only nearby and not a God who is also far away? Am I a God who is only confined to the temple or only a God that is confined to this golden box? Is my presence just there so that I can be controlled by man, so that I could be used by however the whims of the sinful people who are responsible for the, wor for the worship of the church inclined to use me? Am I a God who can be manipulated? Am I a God who has a mouth that you can put words into? See, the answer to this first statement is as loud of a no as we could respond to this text. No, Lord, you are not a God who is just nearby and not also far away. The word of the Lord reminds us time and again that Yahweh is the one who possesses heaven and earth. All of it. He made heaven and earth, the land and the sea and all that fills them. And yet this God tells us that he is not contained by the world that he has made. As we're going to see in a few weeks' time, when the Lord's Prayer directs us to pray in the name of Christ who has ascended into the heavens plural, and is at the right hand of God. What the Lord intended by that phrase is to remind us of where his 
physical body is now. It is not here on earth, but Christ rose bodily and ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is now. And when the Lord Jesus says that, he wants us to think about the third heavens, as it is sometimes called, the throne room of God, a physical place that is beyond the realm where our eyes can see and beyond the realm where our dreams can dream. But that's not what he wants us to have in view here. When we direct our prayers to the Father who is in heaven, we are not to think that the Father in his person is confined to one space because the Father is everywhere. The Father does not have eyes as we have eyes. He does not have hands like we have, have hands. And yet God reveals himself as one who has eyes and hands in order to communicate the way that he relates to us, the way that he cares for us, the way that he sees all of the things that take place in this world below. What we want to remember here in this first clause is that the world that God made is dependent upon him, not the opposite way round. God never depends on us, on the world. He cannot be confined by time or space. The second thing that he asks is, who can hide in a secret place so that I cannot see him? The answer to this is no one, Lord. There's no one on the face of the earth who, who can hide from you. You see us all. All of our affairs are plain be, before the eyes of our Father. The eyes of the Lord are upon all of the earth. His ear is attentive to our cry. He sees what no man can sees. He hears all things. He knows all things. Believe it or not, the person that you sit beside right now cannot hear your thoughts. The men in the room might think that sometimes their wives can hear their thoughts because they are inclined to read their minds. But I don't think that wives have that power yet. Um, and yet God does. He reminds us that he knows even the intentions of our heart, the thoughts of our mind. He knows the slightest inclination of our will. Kids are so much fun because you watch a child and they think that if they pull a sheet upon their head so that they can't see you, that you can't see them, and you don't know what's taking place beneath the sheet, um, or if they go into the room and close the door, that somehow all that's going to take place in that room is concealed from our eyes and ears. And aren't we so prone to behave like that when it comes to God? We think, surely here, he doesn't see me. Surely he doesn't know. 
that can apply to our sinfulness. And on the second hand, that can also apply to our sorrow. Sometimes we might be prone to think, oh, Lord, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know me. And yet he reminds us time and time again that he knows all of us. He knows us completely. And he reveals the loving heart that he has for us in these ways. The third phrase in the question that he poses to his church is, do I not fill heaven and earth? You do, Lord. You do. You fill it all. It's not just that you are there, but all of the world that you have made and beyond the world, the skies are suffused with the presence of God. If we had a way to conceptualize the presence of God spatially, and if we had a pie server that we could section it off, we could just section off this space and it would be full of the presence of God. And we could go up into a plane and we could section off that space. And even where all of these unidentified flying things are flying bizarrely in the sky, God is there. We, we go out be, beyond the realms of, of the earth and to the farthest stretches of the cosmos where we're told is nothing but burning gas and dust and bits of created stuff. And if we could section off the presence of God there, it would still be full and replete the presence of God. He says, as I am here, so I am there. I am all places, all of the time, fully present. And yet we sympathize in the Psalms, do we not? When the psalmist in his suffering cries out and says, where are you, O Lord? Where are you? How long will you not be attentive to my cry? And the Lord behind the veil is saying, I am with you. I am here. I am where you are. You see, it's, it's so helpful for us to be reminded of this truth concerning who the Father is. Because our hearts are inclined to do just what the prophets have done, to make God small, to confine him to what we can conceive of, to make him sensible to us, to make him our servant instead of to always make ourselves the servant of God. And so the Lord, as he asks, asks these three questions, so he responds three times in, verse, in verses 30 and 31 and 32 to these false prophets. And he says, I am against you. 
the Lord will not allow his truth to be stolen at the hands of those who profess to speak for him. That's why the Lord is always concerned to restore truth in his church. That is why we have to always be on guard against error in the life of the church, lest it grow into heresy concerning God. The Lord is ruthlessly concerned for his truth because he is relentlessly concerned for the worship of our hearts because he longs, us, longs for us to know him aright. In verse 28, he says that he is zealous for his word. He has provided his word so that he might be known. And he contrasts the, the lies of these false prophets to his word as straw to wheat. Straw doesn't last. Um, if a if a fool were to build his, his house out of straw, it would fall down. And yet the Lord says, no, my word is like wheat. It nourishes the soul. It feeds man. It can sustain him because it is true. And so the Lord says, I will send my word into my church. My word comes like fire to burn up the chaff. The word of God comes into our life and it devours all of the falsehood of the false prophets. And it also comes hammer-like to crush even those rock-solid things that we think stand in the way of the truth of God's word. Nothing can stand against the word of God Nothing can come into conflict against this book and survive. The word of God breaks through it all. And it tears down all false things. See, God is so concerned for his truth because he's so concerned that he would be known by his church. Thus says the one who is high and who is lift and who is lifted up who in habits eternity says the lord whose name is holy i dwell in the high place in the holy place and also with him who is of contrite heart see what the heavenly father says he says, there's no place. There's no place where I am not. And yet I want you to know, believer, especially when your heart is weak and bowed down in sorrow and in suffering, the Lord God says, that's where I am too. Sometimes, aren't we inclined to think that we can't even lift up our heads to pray? Father, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I'm not very good at prayer. I, I don't really feel like praying now. I, I don't even know if I have enough time to pray right now. How do I start? 
Heavenly Father says, I'm with you. I'm right there. Calvin puts it in this way. He says, God permits us to know him by experience exactly as he shows himself to be in his word. Why do we love God's word so much? Why do we want to squeeze all of the juice out of God's word and to hide it within our heart? Because we want to know the God who is and know him as he is, but we also want to experience that God. We don't want to experience him in ways that he has not provided for us to know him, but we want to experience him aright this evening. What that has in store for us is to call upon him as father and to know him in that way. How is he father? What is it to call the first person of the Godhead by this word father? Well, of course, in one sense, we could say the first person The first person is to be called father because he has always been the father of the son. As he wrote in Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you. We say, what day was that when the son was begotten of the father? Does that mean the day that Jesus was born from Mary? No. Because the son has always been son in relation to the father. So what is that day in Psalm 2? Today I have begotten you. It is the eternal day. It is the day before time. It is that day which is beyond our minds, beyond our conception. That day where the Son has always related to the Father as Father and has called out to him because the Father has always known the Son, because the Father has always been so pleased with the Son, because the Son has always been the object of the loving affection of the Father. Secondly, he is father in this way because he has made the entire world. He has formed it. It belongs to him. It has been begotten by him. And so in one way, we can say that all all people who have lived on this earth at all places and in all times relate to God as Father because they have been made by him. But to these do not belong the right to call him that because not all know him. And so you see the third way in which the Father is revealed as Father is the Father of the church by adoption. Now here's what I mean. Jesus said, um, to know me, you must be born again. 
to know me, you have to place your trust in me. And as you place your trust in me, you are adopted as a child of God. You see, um, it is in Christ, even as we have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that the Father becomes Father to us. John 1.12, but, as, but um, all, to all who did receive him, who believed upon his name, he, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, the second that we believe in Christ, we become a born-again child of God received into the family. We once were separated from him and apart from the household of God, strangers. But now we've been brought near and we have been joined to Christ and now can cry out to God as our Father. For in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus you have become sons of God through faith. And therefore... If a child of God, then you have the thrill of experiencing the work of the Spirit of God in your heart, prompting you to call out to the Father who has named you and has chosen you to be his own. Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says, this is the work of the Spirit within your life that you call out to God and cry to him saying, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. My friend, isn't that the heartbeat of prayer? The heartbeat of prayer is not that I have needs that I need to make known. The heartbeat of prayer is not I need something that I don't have. The heartbeat of prayer is I belong. I belong to this one. I belong to the Father who has made all things and fills all things, who suffuses all things, and yet in his grace has revealed himself to me. He's chosen me of all people, me with all of the crud that I have, me with the small mind that fills my brain, me with all of the sin in my life. God has chosen us because he loves you. Because he loves you for nothing else than just the love that he has for you. And he says, won't you come to me in prayer? What you cry out to me doesn't need to be fancy, doesn't need to be formal. Won't you just call out to me by name?
and say, Father, and won't you call upon the goodness of God and know that he has more love in his heart for you than you can fathom. And know that he has more good gifts in his hand to give you than you could conceive. Some of you are here this evening and you just need to hear this. The Heavenly Father loves you. He loves you. Your Heavenly Father loves you. There is no good thing that he will withhold from you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this very simple and yet profound truth. We could spend all night splashing and playing in the joy of this simple truth that you have set your love upon us, that you have placed your name upon our hearts, that you have chosen us, that we should know you and call you our Father. So, oh Father, would you tend to every child in this room, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.